Hello and welcome to the Feel It to Heal It podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kelly, and I am a clinically trained therapist, emotional wellness and life coach, and healer. My mission is to help as many humans as possible feel safe to feel their feelings in order to create a life beyond their wildest dreams. Thank you for being here and let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the show. I hope you guys are having a beautiful morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are tuning in from. Tonight I am recording from my living room after finishing a beautiful call with my mastermind healing group that I'm a part of. I both run a mastermind and I'm part of a mastermind and we celebrated four weeks since having my last and I think final BPD episode where I have healed my validation wound. I've healed my BPD symptoms, my fear of abandonment, like something has shifted and it feels so fucking exciting. I recorded a pod episode, episode, can't talk. I have recorded a pod episode on this. If you haven't heard it yet, um, where essentially my mentor and I realized that I just couldn't ask her for validation anymore because it was keeping me stuck. And so I had to just come back home to myself and show my nervous system I didn't need it and release control. The control was forced out of me because I was in an episode right before my retreat and I had to just pull it together. And it literally showed my body that I did not need to control And now it's been four weeks of feeling like this entire new version of myself. So I am just celebrating and it just feels really, really big. I'm just so, so excited for what's to come. So anywho, just got out of that group. We were celebrating that and had my celebrate masterclass today. So it's been a very celebratory day in the Rachel Kelly coaching world. What I want to talk to you guys today for this episode, because I'm recording some episodes to come out for when I'm away in Paris and Miami, June is going to be a travel month for me. I'm really excited. This is going to be the first time that I'm fully off for the first time since starting my business almost two years ago, like fully, fully off. So I was like, what do I want to share for you guys to listen to while I'm away? And I had been sharing a little bit about my dating experiences since healing anxious attachment and how dating is now a new experience for me through relating more from that secure attachment. So um, I had talked a little bit about on my stories and there seemed to be some interest in hearing about it. So I figured let's give you guys a little bit of a juicy update on Rachel's dating life. (laughs) If you are not interested in hearing about my dating life, I will not be offended if you skip this episode, but I figured this could be a really powerful way of showing the healing effects of doing this work and the domino effect of doing this work and how your nervous system and healing your attachment wounding is literally going to dictate how you relate to everything and how you show up in relationships. So for those that don't know, my last relationship was about two years ago in July. And since then I've had some 
situationships. I had a situationship with my neighbor who struggled with alcohol use and my anxious attachment was super activated with him and it birthed my group, come home to yourself. So since then, I took some very, very intentional time off dating. So it's been about a year because that neighbor moved out in July and it's May. So in two months, it will be one year since that. And in this past year, I have just been focusing on me. I took a very, very intentional break from dating, from relationships, from sex, from all of it, because I was relating to all of those things through my inner child, through my anxious attachment, through trying to get needs met. And it brought up a lot of shame because when we think about intimacy and sex and relationships and dating, we want to be able to relate from our adult selves. And then when we do this work, we realize like, wow, so many of us are just relating through our inner child and treating our partner like our parent and projecting all of these childhood unmet needs onto them. And there's just nothing sexy about acting like a two-year-old when you are trying to be intimate with your partner. So I knew that I needed time to really heal this. And so I took this year off of dating, sex, all of it. And I really worked to look at what was happening for me in relationships, what was happening for me in my relationship with sex and intimacy and all of it. And looking at the ways in which my inner child, my anxious attachment was so activated and where I wasn't honoring myself. And it's interesting because when it comes to my relationship with sex, I was always one of those people that, especially as a woman, like I never bought into that narrative of like, oh, you know, you have to save save it for, you know, when the guy shows you that, you know, he's committed, like, I didn't like it as this game and like using it as bait. Like I just never was down for that. And I always kind of prided myself off of being this really like strong, independent, confident woman where, you know, I would just honor what I was wanting and what I was needing. And I wasn't one of those women that felt like I needed to be in a relationship to be intimate with someone. It was more of just like honoring whatever felt right in the moment. And although there's absolutely nothing wrong with people who choose to engage in more casual sex or, um, you know, sex with people that they're not exclusive with or dating, there's absolutely no shame, no judgment, nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, I really had to look at how I wasn't honoring sex as a sacred act rather than, um, and like really honoring myself in that rather than how <laughs> I was relating to it from this place of, um, soothing this abandonment wound of like, you know, oh, if I'm intimate with this person, then, you know, they won't leave me or, um, just using it for soothing and comfort rather than, a really embodied woman, powerful place. And so it's been really interesting to look at this because I think these things are so sneaky, right? Like you can always just say like, 
like I always used to say, well, yeah, like I'm just comfortable with casual sex or I just have a high sex drive or, you know, whatever. But there was so much graspy energy when it came to that. So I was like, I need to take a break from all of this, really take a look at what's happening for me and reevaluate how I want to be relating to this. I read the book Pussy, which if you guys have not read it, if you have a pussy, you should read it. It's incredible. And it really helped me just come into relationship with, again, my own sexuality, my own relationship with my own pussy, my own sexuality, my own sensuality, my own um, embodiment as a woman. And yeah, anyway, so that's a little background. I wasn't <laughs> planning to go down the sex route, but here we are. And uh, dad or family, if you're listening to this, sorry for not giving you a heads up. <laughs> But honestly, the Kelly family is very open. You grew up with two therapists. You know, my dad gave me the sex talk when I was like way too young to even understand it. So we're good. Anyway, moving forward. So I had this year break and then something within me was like, it's time. You've done the work. It's time to now take this work to the next level and start dating again. And I was getting all these signs from the universe. Like, I have my unicorn card deck and I kept getting the same card that said, beloved, prepare for your life partner over and over and over again for months. And I was like, what the hell? And at first I had so much resistance to it. I was almost angry. Like it really fucked with my control. And I was like, nope, I'm not ready. Nope. And there was so much fear because of these BPD symptoms, this deep, deep fear of abandonment that I was like, I am now seeing all of these parts of myself. I do not want this to be transferred to a relationship with a partner. Like I'm not ready for that. It's terrifying, brought up all the shame, brought up all the fear. And I like fought with the universe. I was like, nope, I'm not doing it. I don't want to date. Nope, 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 not ready. Like I literally would communicate to the universe, like not ready universe. <laughs> and that was my control. I was trying to control the timing and the universe like kept giving me signs and signals of like, it's time, get out there. Even our family astrologer, he was like, with Jupiter coming around, like it's time. I was like, all right, all right. I hear you loud and clear. So let us dive in to the, as one of my clients called it, the dating diaries. I call it the dating chronicles, the dating shenanigans. Obviously for confidentiality purposes, I will not be disclosing any private information, any names of these potential suitors. <laughs> I literally feel like I'm in my own version of the show, The Bachelorette, and it's a great time. I'm here for it. I have fully surrendered. I am here, universe. I'm doing my divine assignment of getting back out there. So I had a friend uh, who gave me a reading who said something about summer, like summer would be the time that I would meet someone. And so when I was getting these signs and I started, you know, going back on the apps and it's spring, I'm like, hmm, like maybe it's not ready yet, but I was like, let's just kind of dabble in it. So it started with, I was in the car. I told myself I wasn't going to be on Instagram that weekend. I was waiting for a friend and I was like, okay, how do I entertain myself in this car? And I re-downloaded Bumble. 
And as I'm scrolling, so it's like kind of a catch 22, right? Because on one hand, I'm like, Rachel, sit with yourself. You don't need to engage in the addictive behaviors and the scrolling. On the other hand, I'm like, all right, something intuitively in me was like, let me get back on these apps. So I'm scrolling and I'm, you know, um, swiping, swiping is the word I was looking for, swiping the uh, dating app version of scrolling. And I recognize this person. And so I matched with him and I realized that we had been texting back in November and we had just stopped messaging because I was in New York and I just didn't respond. And so we reconnected and he was like, oh yeah, like you basically ghosted me. And I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to ghost you. Just genuinely did not remember to respond. And he didn't follow up. So I was like, okay, just timing. So we schedule a phone call. We have this phone call talking for like three hours. There's definitely chemistry. There's like connection right off the bat. And we started talking literally every day, like FaceTiming, texting, calling. And I was getting a little anxious because I was like, okay, when are we actually going to meet in person? Because I don't want to just like have a texting buddy, you know? And even the conversation had gotten to a point where it was like becoming more sexual. And I was like, I really want to be intentional of getting to know someone, relating differently, taking my time, all of that. And so we finally ended up meeting. And again, it was a pretty instant connection. My control was pretty strong. I was like, I want to meet on this date. And then we moved it up and then we had a reschedule. And then um, I was planning on meeting him at the dog park and then there wasn't time. So at this point we were like talking all week. I knew he wasn't like, a, you know, a murderer. And so the timing basically worked out where instead of meeting at the dog park, he was running late for, from his meeting, I was about to go into a meeting. And so our first date was basically telling him, Hey, I'll meet you outside my apartment will go for a walk with the dogs. And if I feel comfortable, you can then just hang out inside while I'm on this call. So it's like very, not my ideal kind of first date. But anyway, we ended up talking for hours and grabbed dinner and it was just very natural. And then after that, there was just a lot of inconsistency and my anxious attachment was fully alive, present and active. The inconsistency again, as children, when we have our needs being met inconsistently, that is actually what forms anxious attachment. So this was mimicking how little me was feeling during childhood of, will mom come home? Will I get my needs met? You know, and granted, I always had my physical needs met. I always had, you know, um, my parents take care of me. They were wonderful parents. And there was just a lot happening during childhood where little me was not sure if emotionally I was going to get that attunement from, from my parents. So anywho, it really mimicked that. And so my anxious attachment was really activated where like his actions were not aligning with his words, where he was saying, like, he was kind of like love bombing. Like he was talking about marriage and naming our children and like basically told me that he loved me the first day. And I was like, Oh, I think this is a red flag, <laughs> but I also felt a connection. So I was like, I don't know. Let's just see it through. But then when it would be time to meet up, he would like reschedule and he kept rescheduling. So it was like after three times of rescheduling, I was like, okay, that's it. 
And something that my mentor and I processed was that when you have anxious attachment, you end up staying in situations longer than you would if you had secure attachment, because it's the anxious attachment that makes you want to stay in something that's not actually aligned. Whereas if you are in your power and relating through secure attachment, you feel safe enough in your body to say, nope, this isn't working for me. I'm going to walk away. So after the third time of him bailing, I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. We didn't talk for like a week. I'm kind of waiting to see if he'll reach out and like apologize and try and reschedule. I don't hear from him. And then I reach out with this basically like a, a ending text, just saying like, Hey, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, I'm feeling pretty hurt and angry at the way that you've handled all of this, um, you know, saying this, but then your actions not showing this and basically just saying like, I honor that we have this connection and this time together and I wish you all the best. And then he, you know, said some nice words, but then got really defensive. It was like, well, it takes two to communicate and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, this is dumb. And that really, it, it was a rough way to start the dating world again, because I really felt like he was going to be my next person. Like the connection we had, just all of it, it really felt like, oh, this is my next boyfriend. Even my mentor messaged me after I sent her a video and I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, this is your next person. And so being able to have it just like end so quickly before it even really began. Um, so that one kind of hit me hard. And I was like, oh, I just like, I miss him. I'm sad. Like, I was like, this is just why I have been avoiding dating the whole thing. So after that, I took a little breather again. And then I kept, you know, putting myself back out there. I was like, okay. And then I ended up going on... <laughs> I'm just laughing because that was the end of my Bumble experience. And then I was like, okay, I want an app where I can filter out people because for those that don't know, I am six feet tall. I have dated shorter men in the past. It just really hasn't worked for me. And I love tall men. So I was like, where can I <laughs> have an app where I filter out all these different things. So Hinge, you can basically pay $30 <laughs> to be able to set the range of height. And so I was like, fuck yes, this is going to be so worth this $30, best $30 I've ever spent. You can set preference on height, race, religion, spirituality. If they have kids, if they don't have kids, like you can set the whole thing. So I set all my preferences to like exactly my type. And I then ended up going on a first date with a contestant from So You Think You Can Dance, which is literally one of my favorite shows that I used to watch. And Twitch, who recently passed away, he was literally probably my favorite dancer of all time. And I saw that this guy had a picture with Twitch and I was like, oh my God, like, this is so cool. And, um, he was such a sweet soul. He worked in foster care. He used to be in foster care as a kid. Like we just, we really had beautiful conversation. And then when we were planning our first date, he wanted to take me to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, listen, I am not generally a judgmental person. I don't consider myself very judgmental. However, 
when he suggested Chuck E. Cheese, I was like, something about this is not feeling quite right. <laughs> I've never been to Chuck E. Cheese, but from what I know, it is a children's place. And my best friend was freaking out. She's like, dude, you cannot go on this date. He's trying to take you to Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, all right, like, let's not judge him. Like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And so I just said something like, maybe we can just, you know, grab our sables, go to the beach or like, go to like the adult version of that at like Dave and Buster's. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, do I give this dude a chance? I'm like consulting with my friends or like trying to figure out, like they're asking their fiancés, like, what do you think of this guy? Quite entertaining. So, you know, cause he was like, yeah, everyone can be a kid. And I'm like, I get it. Like he's trying to let his inner child play and I'm all about inner child play. <laughs> and first date, I don't want to be around a bunch of children. So we end up going to an acai bowl place and conversation was beautiful. Like heard about his life story. He's been through a lot of shit. Um, and just has such a good heart and good soul. He also had a really thick accent, which made it hard to understand, uh, cause he was, he was a true Southern gentleman. So very thick Southern accent. And we, yeah, we walked to the beach. We, we talked for a while. We walked around, um, just such a sweet, sweet guy, like really easy conversation, beautiful, gave me a kiss goodbye, like all the very gentlemany things. Um, but on the drive home, I started crying. <laughs> I'm just laughing at myself because I'm like, of course. Um, I started crying because I knew that I was going to have to tell him that I didn't feel a romantic connection, but it was like, I wanted to feel it so badly because he was just such a good guy. Like literally could not think of one thing wrong with him. Like he was just so sweet, but I just, I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't it. And these things are not logical. You just feel it. And I knew that I was going to have to tell him. And it just made me so sad because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I was like, oh God, this is awful. So he's messaging being like, yeah, I definitely want to see you again. And I sent him this really nice message uh, the next day and was just like, listen, I really enjoyed meeting you, but I just don't feel a romantic connection. I wish you all the best. Like I sent a really nice message and he immediately unmatched. So did not respond. And I was like, okay, that's kind of confirmation because, you know, it, it says a lot about your character if you're not even going to, you know, respond to a nice message. So I was like, okay, he's feeling hurt and we're just going to move on. So that was guy number two. Guy number three. So guy number three and number four kind of surfaced around the same time. So I was essentially talking to two guys at the same time. and one of them I had had like a two hour phone call with really, yeah, really wonderful conversation. It was almost like I was getting closer to an aligned match. It was like each guy had great qualities, but it wasn't quite right. And then the next one would have even more aligned qualities and then it wasn't right. And then it just kept going. And so number three, and number four were definitely the two that were piquing my interest. And so number three, since I'm not giving them names, I'm just numbering number three, we had a great conversation. We scheduled a date. He lived a little bit further away. So we had planned for like the following week out. And I kind of double booked myself because then I had planned a first date with guy number four 
on the same day that we had potentially thought about a date for guy number three. So anyway, I, we just pushed it back a week and I had a date with match number four. And of course my mentor is like, this would only happen to you minutes before our first date. He finds out that his aunt passed away. And I was like, holy shit, this timing, like you're about to go on a first date and you get the worst phone call of your life that you could ever, you know, there's just that type of phone call that you just dread and you never want to get. And literally we, the cafe that I had chosen, it was about to close. So I was like, oh, missed that part. So I walk up to him. I immediately am attracted to him. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, he is like literally my type to a T. I know some people don't believe in types. I definitely have a type. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I didn't because it narrows options down, but I definitely have a type. So immediately I see him and I'm like, he's my type. And I'm like, how you doing? How was your day? And he's like, well, I actually just got this phone call and he's, you know, tell me what, telling me what's happening. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, do you, do you want to reschedule? Like, do you want to go home? Like, and he's like, no, it's okay. Like, I really wanted to meet you and just like, so sweet. So we end up going to this other cafe and walking down to the beach. And we just sat by the beach for like hours, just talking. It was really easy conversation, really great chemistry, just, yeah, really aligned both Capricorns. So, you know, lots in common. And then we, yeah, we get some burritos to go. And so everything's really aligned with this person, except for one thing. And my friend was joking because she was like, it's always one thing. And I was like, I know it's like, everything's right. Except for one thing. Like the first guy, it was like the inconsistency. And the second guy, it was like, just, there wasn't a romantic connection. And then the Chuck E. Cheese thing. And then um, this guy, it's that on his profile, he said that he practices non-monogamy. So in the past, I was in a relationship where we did explore having an open relationship. And the reason why I was able to do this was because he and I were very clear that we weren't going to be together long-term. It was very clear that it was just kind of like we were meant to be for the present, but we knew that it probably was not, it probably was going to have an expiration date. I think back to, you know, one of my exes that I really did think would be long-term. And I was like, I don't think I could do an open relationship with him. So as a person that literally studies humans and works with humans for a living, I see this and it fascinates me because obviously there's a whole community out there of people who are practicing polygamy and um, open relationships and different types of relationships. And technically monogamy is still a newer thing in society because, um, you know, having multiple spouses or partners used to be, used to be a thing in my knowledge, I could be wrong. It was when women were still considered property and men would have multiple wives. So, Anywho, I, I know that that's not necessarily representative of the community that exists today, but from an attachment perspective, 
it really made me curious of like, does this actually feel authentic and grounded and aligned or is it a trauma response? Is it, yeah, is it a trauma response of not feeling safe to have an intimate relationship? And, you know, I would ask him like how it started and, and based on the story of how it started, um, it did make me question like, could this be a trauma response? So unclear, but anyway, the date was great. And we, yeah, we hugged goodbye. We said that we wanted to see each other again, but I came home and I was definitely in my head because I was like, shit, like I really, really feel a connection with this guy. And also I just don't know if non-monogamy is going to work for me because I need to feel safe in a relationship. And also at the same time, like I'm not necessarily ready to commit to anyone right now either. So I'm like, maybe it could be good to just keep things open and I'm still dating around and da, da, da. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I need to stop figuring it out and just decide, do I want to see him again? And I knew I did. And I was like, I know it's risky. I know it's like, you know, setting myself up for potential heartbreak, but I know that I need to see this through. <laughs> so I'm just laughing because I'm remembering how before each date, I would literally email my family astrologer with the birthday and be like, okay, I got his birthday. Like, tell me the deeds, da, da, da. And my mentor is like, why do you need to know? And I was like, I don't, I'm being ridiculous. <laughs> so I stopped doing that. Um, but anyway, we then had scheduled a second date. And this was before the date with number three was supposed to happen. So I was going to have a second date with match number four. And he then had to cancel because he had another loved one um, that was going to be in the hospital and like just going through a lot of family stuff. So um, he canceled, but then we ended up seeing each other anyway. And it was just kind of like holding space for, yeah, for all that life is kind of throwing at him right now. And it was just really, really clear that there's a connection and that it feels really aligned. And so when I did, I did a medium session recently with my neighbor to connect with her daughter who passed as well as my mom and my grandma. And in the medium session, my mom was just saying like, he's a really good guy, but he's being pulled in a lot of different directions right now. And you're about to travel and timing is not right. And she said, just wait for summer. And I was like, oh my God, that's what my other reading said, like, just wait for summer. So the interesting thing with this person is that my anxious attachment has not really been activated. Like I've been, you know, thinking about him. I've been, um, I was very intentional to like not have sex right away to take things slow, like all this stuff. And what's interesting is that what I noticed the first match really didn't, I didn't feel safe. And that's why my anxious attachment was so activated, but my mentor and I were talking about how grounded I feel with this current person that I'm exploring things with. And I think a lot of that one has to do with how I've shifted my anxious attachment, but a lot of it has to do with that. I just feel safe with him, which is also weird because in other ways, I don't feel safe because of the whole, you know, will he ever be able to commit type of thing and the whole non-monogamy thing and the unknowns of what that might bring for both of us. And so 
I think it's really to say that there's a combination that sometimes when we have anxious attachment, we always blame our lack of safety on the anxious attachment. And, you know, we feel needy, but then we realize like, oh, actually we haven't felt safe to express our needs. So then when we do express our needs, we have shame around feeling needy. And then we don't actually learn how to express our needs in just from an adult place, because even in a securely attached relationship, there are still needs. You still need to feel safe with the person. You still need to feel seen and heard and valued and prioritized and all of the things that you need in a human relationship. So we tend to go straight to the, you know, oh, it's just my anxious attachment, but it's also are you blaming that, but then not really feeling safe, but because of the anxious attachment, you're staying with someone that you don't feel safe with. So it's a little bit of a mind fuck, but let it land, let it see how, see how it lands in your body. When I say that, because I can definitely think of relationships where I stayed way longer than I probably should have because of my anxious attachment. And then other ones where I felt so safe that when I lost that person, I also felt like I was dying because they were my safety net. So the difference this time is that I do feel a connection with this person. He does make me feel safe. And if I lost the connection or let's say it wasn't meant to work out, my level of internal safety and my level of trust and surrender and faith has deepened so much to the point where I know that I'm safe. And that's probably why I even feel safe enough to explore something that my head is probably like, eh, that's a little risky. If you know non-monogamy is not going to work for you, maybe don't do it. And you can't really control who you have a connection with. And it's important to be able to see those through because our relationships bring so many lessons, growth, healing. It is through those romantic relationships because a lot of it brings out the those wounds from childhood. And if, you know, in my case, like, bringing out wounds from childhood, but also being able to practice relating from your adult self and helping little you feel safe. Like there's so much value in that. And so I could easily say, you know what, I'm not going to see him again because this whole non-monogamy thing is really risky and it makes me scared. Or I can trust my gut and say, I'm safe to be with the fear. I'm safe to be with the potential hurt. And I'm safe to just stay in the present and take in one moment at a time right? Not making any decisions. There's nothing to figure out. All I know is that I can take it one moment at a time and say, okay, do I want to see him again? Yes. And then I see him again. Do I want to see him again after that? Okay. Yes. And maybe there's a time where I realize, you know what, this really isn't working. And so I'm not going to see you again. And I'm just going to be with the pain or the, the sadness of that. But when you feel a connection with someone and something doesn't feel right on paper, but it feels right in your soul, you have to allow yourself to explore that because if not, you're just living from fear rather than what your soul is meant to experience for your deepest transformation, evolution, healing. So where am I at? Okay. So that was date number two. And then after that, he had to travel out of state to be with his family because he has a loved one who is um, in the hospital right now. And so there's been kind of infrequent communication, which normally would fucking trigger the shit out of my anxious attachment. And now I'm just like, it's okay. Like he's focusing on his stuff. He's got a lot going on. I'm focusing on my stuff. You know, we're still checking in with each other, expressing mutual interest. 
And like, I'm just safe to be with the unknown. And that's the beautiful thing about dating with secure attachment is like, I am safe to be with the unknown. I don't need to be in constant communication with someone like I used to be to feel safe. And that's just such a beautiful full circle moment because my anxious attachment and my relationship and my breakup was literally what led me to doing this work. And here I am out in the dating world again, but a completely new version of myself. So um, the last part of this before we wrap up is date number one with match number three. <laughs> I hope you guys are keeping up with these numbers because, you know, I want to keep it all confidential. Uh, so I just have to use numbers. <laughs> um, so we had our date and I kind of already knew in my gut, I was like, I think I'm more into match number four, but you know, the conversation was good with match number three. Let me just see it through. So we went on a date. It was fine. Um, the conversation was fine. I could tell the attraction wasn't quite there. Um, we kind of had some awkward moments at the end where we were like hugging. And then I was like, is he going to try and kiss me? But then he didn't. And then we went in for another hug and then he was kind of laughing and then looking like he was going to kiss me. And it was just like one of those scenes out of a movie where you're like, what just happened? Like so much so to the point where I got in the car and I just kind of sat there and I was like, what was that? Like, what just happened? <laughs> and I think part of me, I think little me came out a little bit because part of me was just like, it like triggered my control a little bit. Cause I'm like, I just wanted him to make the move, but then I didn't feel safe enough to just verbalize that. And this goes back to feeling safe to express our needs. And so then that triggered a little bit of shame of like, why couldn't I just ask for what I wanted? Um, but then I wasn't sure if I wanted it because I didn't know if I was even attracted to him. So it was just like not clean energy. It was just kind of like confusing energy. And he had been cons consistently messaging me for that. And he had even asked to do a FaceTime and learning from match number one. I was like, nope, I am going to just wait to meet the person before investing all this time and energy on the phone with them because, you know, we saw how that went with match number one. <laughs> no regrets, you know, we live and learn, but I was just like, yeah, I, I really am feeling safer to just express what I want. And what I want is to wait to meet someone in person before investing all this time and energy, FaceTiming, talking, who the fuck has time for that? Anywho, and it was really affecting me because match number one, I would stay up too late FaceTiming and then I'd be tired for work the next day. And I'm like, no, this is, this is little me just like loving the attention and the connection and yeah, not honoring myself and being like, nope, I need to go to bed. So, um, after that date with match number three, neither of us have communicated. So I think it was a very mutual thing. The other hilarious thing about all of this is that... <laughs> one of the first things I have been doing with these men is I like when they bring up podcasts I'm like oh how can I not mention I have a podcast I've been giving them the podcast which like really risky move on my end because here I am talking about these dates and I'm like yeah they may or may not be listening to this but it also is a really cool not like an intentional test it almost just be it ended up being like a non-intentional test um where match number three, you know, like said he was going to listen. And I think he listened to some of it, but even when he was talking about the episode that he listened to, it was like, he kind of was listening. He kind of wasn't. And then with match number four, the person that I'm still currently, you know, connected to, 
he like really listened. He like really listened to my podcast and like really felt like heard and understood and really connected to it. And I was like, that's just so sweet that first of all, he like actually took the time to listen to it, but also it like really is resonating with him. And, you know, he was saying like, I just need to be in your energy more. It's really good for me. And, um, yeah, it just feels very much like there's some healing for both of us to do with each other. Like we both kind of expressed, it feels like we've known each other for way longer than we have. And so I told him, I was like, I really think that we've had a past life together and that this is our souls kind of reuniting in this lifetime for whatever we are meant to experience together. Um, so yeah, there's a lot I really like about this person. Um, and yeah, he can even sing and I like to sing and just, just all these things. Um, and he is a dad, which the old me would have been really like, I don't know if I want to date someone with a kid because I had done that before and it was really messy. But honestly, if you guys follow Amanda Francis and her whole journey, she's a stepmom and like, and then she had her own child and seeing her, it just kind of really, I don't know, it changed my whole perspective um, and just made me open to that. So on my hinge settings, I allowed that to be people with kids. <laughs> And it also kind of takes the pressure off of me because I don't know for sure. I've always wanted to be a mom, but then doing this work, it was really the first time I felt safe to just focus on myself. And so I'm not really in any rush for that. So it kind of takes the pressure off. Um, I'm just giving myself time and space to see if that's something that I'm meant to experience in the future. So those have been the four matches so far. Um, in terms of people that I've actually met with and gone on dates with, those are the different diary entries, if you will, because literally I have journaled about all of them because I journal every night. <laughs> and yeah, I guess right now the current update is that I am continuing to explore this connection that I have with this person while also staying on the app, staying open, really just continuing to focus on me my business, my life, this upcoming travel, I'm going to Paris and Miami and trusting that things will happen in the right timing. And I wanted to share all of this today because I think when you are someone that struggles with anxious attachment, dating can be really daunting and it can be really exhausting and being able to relate through my adult self, through just this embodied, powerful place. It just feels so much better. And I think it's just a reminder that when your anxious attachment gets really, really activated, look at it, look at where am I not feeling safe? Where is this person maybe not the best match for me or the safest match for me? And where am I trying to force a connection or control a connection rather than just trusting that a natural one will happen if it's meant to? And that when it is the right person, you don't have to force it. It just is easeful and flows. And yeah, noticing that when that anxious attachment comes up, it's just little you. It's little you feeling so deeply scared of abandonment. And I had a girl in my come home to yourself, uh, one of my clients say, well, if I just started talking to this guy, why am I already fearing abandonment? I said, well, it's little you feeling a connection with someone and associating their level of responsiveness, how often they're texting, all of that, associating that with 
those childhood wounds of not feeling worthy or, you know, people not showing up for you. And so when we're talking to someone in a more intimate way, it just brings up all of that from childhood. It mimics that child parent relationship, which is like weird to think about, but it just has to do with who is your primary relationship. So know that it's little, you know, that your anxious attachment can absolutely be healed and that relationships are a really powerful way to do that while also honoring what you need. So for me, I needed time off to really just focus on me. For other people, they need to go out and start dating to be able to bring up these wounds and to heal them. So just honoring where you're at, meeting yourself where you're at and trusting that this these symptoms of the sphere of abandonment, this, this anxious attachment can absolutely be healed. And I'm living proof of it. And when you allow yourself to feel safe, to be with the unknown, feel safe to come home to yourself, feel safe to focus on you and allow everything to happen and unravel as it's meant to, it gets to just be more enjoyable. Like right now I'm just enjoying dating. I'm not committing to anyone. I'm just committed to me and whatever that looks like externally is what it'll be. And that's the beautiful part about not having your safety wrapped up in another person is like, you are your own anchor. And then the rest of it just gets to be like bonus. And I was having this moment last week where I was sitting by the ocean after the farmer's market. And even in the medium session, my mom said, like, I was with you that night. And I was like, I, I could tell because I just had this moment of feeling so deeply connected and safe. And I was just staring at the ocean and I was like, wow, like I feel so complete on my own. And as someone who struggled with anxious attachment my whole life, I always felt like I needed a partner to feel complete. And in the past I fooled myself being like, yeah, I'm, I'm so independent when I'm single. And then I turn batshit crazy when I'm in a relationship. And it's because when I was single, I was numbing. I was binging TV. I was eating crap. I was you know, drinking, smoking weed. I was like doing all of the distractions. And so being able to just sit there and be with the ocean and like be present and be connected to myself and be like, wow, I feel so fully complete on my own. And if a partner comes into my life, it's just an added bonus. That's why I don't like the expression, my other half, we can all be holes (laughs) on our own. I talked about this in my sister's, um, Maid of honor speech. I kept saying the word holes and I was like, probably not the best way to describe it. But I was like, we can be whole on our own and the other person can be whole on their own. And then you put the two holes together (laughs) and it's not a better half. It's just two whole complete people complimenting each other. And so that's what I'm here for. That's what I desire. And if you are in a similar position to me where you are just wanting to get clear on what you desire, release the attachment and the how and the when and the control, just keep manifesting. Like, what do you want? What do you want in a partner? You know, and understanding that that may not look exactly the way that you wrote it on paper, but that if you're manifesting it and you're desiring it, there's someone out there that's desiring that back. There's, you know, this applies to all of our desires. If you desire something, it's placed in your heart for a reason. It means that there is that same thing desiring you back. If I desire a million dollars, there's a million dollars out there that's waiting for me to feel ready to receive it because it desires to support me. It's the same thing with a partner. If I'm, you know, describing this person and they're out there, 
and they're describing me and I'm here and we're just waiting to feel safe to receive each other. That exists and things get to be even better than we could have imagined. So we could write down like X, Y, Z traits. And then we meet someone that has those, but maybe they have different traits or maybe something unexpected and maybe it's even better. So one of my favorite mantras is this or better, this or something better. What is meant for me will not miss me. So let's see, I think I've caught you guys up on my dating life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that it was helpful in terms of how to look at dating and relationships through this lens of attachment and healing anxious attachment, building secure attachment, whether you're single or you're in a relationship, there's so much healing that can be done with both. And it's just about meeting yourself where you're at and being open to things being even beyond what you could imagine. You may say you want X, Y, and Z and the universe gives you something even better. So just stay open to it. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being on this wild ride. And yeah, it's just quite a journey. And if you are needing support on healing your anxious attachment, please reach out. I have so many ways to enter this work. I have a women's group for healing anxious attachment called Come Home to Yourself. My co-leader Anna and I are launching for our next round of Real Men Heal, our men's group healing program. We just welcomed in a new member yesterday, which we're so excited about. And my new course, my first ever online course, which is literally a dream come true. Amanda Francis has been a really big mentor and idol of mine and seeing what she's created with her online courses has been such an inspiration to me. So my first course, The Secure Entrepreneur, which is for anxiously attached entrepreneurs, that is going to be available May 31st. And I'm just so excited for it. It's gonna be amazing. So reach out if you are ready to dive into this work and heal your anxious attachment and allow dating to be fun, allow relationships to be enjoyable and allow yourself to receive more than what you could have ever anticipated. Thank you for being here. Take time to come home to yourself. If you're listening to this, I'm probably roaming around Paris right now. So catch me on the gram, see what I'm up to. If I've broken my veganism already to eat that almond croissant, because I probably will. And then I may regret it later, depending on how I feel. <laughs> but I hear the dairy in Europe is a whole other level. So we shall see. But catch me on the gram. We'll connect. And I love you all so much. See you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.